Revelation chapter 5. Glad you're here. As you get over to Revelation 5, remind me a little bit about what we've seen in Revelation 4 so that we can start uh, getting a sense of what's what's going on. It's a chapter break, but there's massive continuity. It's not like it's a new thing going on. What's in chapter 4? What? What's that? Okay, so we've got a door opened and we're seeing this new vision in heaven. What is John seeing? This throne room scene of, of God is, is there. What's happening in the throne room? Activity. activity. A lot of activity. Lots of action going on. God's uh, not asleep. He's not on vacation. There's all kinds of activity uh, coming from the throne. What's happening around the throne? Okay. Yeah. So we've seen covenant pictures with the rainbow and we see the activity with lightning and thunder. Are, we, are there uh, activities of spiritual beings? All right. We've got the four living creatures and uh, they're, they're making a lot of noise. They're, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Uh, and we see 24 elders. What are they doing? They're bowing down and casting their crowns. And how often do they do that? As long as the four living creatures are saying, holy, 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 which is how often are they doing that? All the time. So it's it's a nonstop worship and nonstop activity uh, as you're getting a picture of the throne room of God in Revelation 4. All right, let's let's read Revelation 5 and see how the picture continues then. Revelation 5, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. 
and the elders fell down and worshipped. All right, pretty uh, uh, amazing picture that we see uh, given as the throne room scene uh, continues. Uh, The focus, uh, twofold focus really of of chapter five, two things are really uh, at the forefront. What do we see uh, beginning is put forward here in chapter five? Uh, Frank? Well, you got uh, seven seals on this uh, okay. scroll, which is uh, a big number in Revelation. You got seven churches, seven, and yeah. seven thunders. It's like a complete message in itself. Uh, absolutely. So here you have a, a scroll that is sealed with, with seven seals. And, you know, that's not terribly normal to do that, to put that many seals on it. But I, I do want you to get a visual of a, of a scroll that is highly protected. And uh, apparently there's a problem with the scroll. What's the problem? Can. Nobody can open this thing. So no one has the authority. You know, I don't think it's like, you know, nobody knows how to open a scroll. <laughs> who has the right? Who has the authority to, to open this thing and to, to reveal its, its contents is is the the real big problem. And, and you'll notice that in the account, it it lets that sit for a minute because uh, you will notice uh, John's John's reaction in verse four. What does he think about this? Yeah, yeah it, it, he's, he's crying o- o- over this. We can't find out what is in the scroll. This, this hidden information that has been sealed up, we're unable to find anything out about. So there's Almost like this weight that's being set on the scene that, you know, the cry is going out throughout all of the heavenly realms and all creation. Who's worthy to open this scroll? And it's letting it set. Nobody. Nobody has the right to be able to do that, Dennis. And and besides being sealed like that, it's also unique in the fact that it's written on the front and back. It's full. like in Isaiah. Yes. And you don't always do that, though it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. But usually you didn't write on both sides. So you have a full scroll that is, that is depicted here. There is an overflow of information for it to be written on the front uh, as well as the back. So one of the things that we have to, to get at is since the, the trajectory of this book is that we are going to open the scroll and start opening seals, right? It's going to be like, here's the first seal and the second seal, and it's going to just start revealing things. And we note at the very beginning of our study, the book is not called concealed or hidden. It's called revealing. It is an unveiling. It's a revelation. Something now is finally being revealed that has been concealed in the past. And this is a great visual of it. Here is the scroll that has information in it that no one is, has the authority to open. And everybody wants it open. We want to know what, what's in the scroll. And when those seals are opened, it's really the trajectory of the book that, like Frank brought out, is it's not just going to be seven seals. The seven seals lead to seven more things and seven more things and seven more things and seven more things. And just kind of keeps unrolling all of this information. So one of the things we have to determine then is, well, do we have a reference point somewhere back in scriptures for this scroll that's now finally being revealed? Is there somewhere we can go and figure out where the scroll came from, what, why it's sealed so that we can get a sense of where this, this thing is going? So I think that's 
Perhaps one of the most important things to be able to do here, Debbie. Well, I had one thing I was going to say was that no wonder John would have wept because he was referred to back in Daniel and Isaiah, and they've been anticipating this. Yes. And then, and, and I'm sure when they when he saw it. He would have anticipated that finally we're going to find out what's in there, and then nobody was authorized to open. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like this is the long-awaited moment here. Let's get the final information and. You're going throughout and everybody's like, we can't open this. This Who's going to open this for us? Who's going to be the one uh, to do this? So let's spend some time talking about this scroll for a minute because I think that helps form the trajectory of how we should look at this book. Debbie brought out Daniel and Daniel chapter 12 is a very important uh, text for us. So if you turn your Bibles to Daniel 12, I want you to see... Uh, what's going on there. This is the, the place in scriptures, the only place in scriptures where we have a scroll that is sealed, that is not opened, that is told information about it, but it doesn't get a revelation. And um, the good news is we, we've talked about how scholars are in massive high disagreement about just about everything in the book of Revelation. <laughs> But here's one point of agreement, and the point of agreement is the scroll of Daniel 12 that's sealed is the open scroll of Revelation 5. So let's look at Daniel 12, and um, let's go ahead and kind of get the end, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go backward, and we'll talk about what then is in the scroll. But let's just see the directions about the scroll. Daniel 12 and verse 4 But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book or scroll, depending on your translation, until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood on this bank of the stream and one on the other side of the of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be a time, times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, these things would be finished. Now watch this in verse 8. I heard... But I did not understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So I want you to notice the end of Daniel visualizes the prophecies as being put in a scroll or a book and sealed up. Because Daniel wants to know, what is the outcome? What does this mean? I don't understand. Tell me about it. And you will notice twice the answer is, go your way, Daniel. (laughs) You're not getting that information. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, seal the book until the time of the end. You're not going to get the information. It's sealed until the time of the end. Or if we were to use other New Testament terminology, Latter days, last days, messianic time, time of the end. It's going to be put out there. 
More information is given. We have an angel taking an oath. We'll see that angel in Revelation come back into play. We'll hold that for, for that time. But this figure comes back into play. And you'll notice again, there's a time marker given. It's going to be a time, times, and half a time. It's not going to be now. It's not going to be tomorrow. It's put off till later. And similarly, in verse 9, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So let's just kind of keep it as cursory as possible, since we don't have time to obviously do a 12-chapter study of the book of Daniel, which would certainly be useful at this point, because... Revelation is clearly keen off of what was sealed up in Daniel. But let's talk about what are some of the prophecies that are found in Daniel? What are some of the things that are spoken about? Are there any of the things that you can think of that are memorable of prophecies and events that happen that are speaking about future things that Daniel sees, writes, talks about, prophesies? Think of something this morning. Oh, hold on, that's good. The one that stands out the most, of course, is the statue. Okay. All right. So let's think about that one. In Daniel chapter 2, and if you want to refresh your memory, go over to Daniel chapter 2. Have this massive statue that you have in a vision, right? You might remember that in that it is depicting four different empires, four different nations. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. And then you move down to the silver of Persia. You move down to the bronze of Greece. You move down to the, the bottom there where we have iron mixed with clay. There's our, our Roman Empire. Now, what is, what's the big deal about that statue? What's, what's the, the thrust of that? And if you're not sure, go look like at verses 44 and 45 of chapter 2. It, okay, the stone is going to arise and it's going to shatter the image, scattered in pieces, and then essentially then become this great mountain that fills the whole earth. So in Daniel 2, what's being destroyed? What's that? Okay, all the world empires. So Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, and Rome. When, when the book of Revelation is written, what's our standing world empire? Roman Empire. So we have a prophecy in Daniel 2 that says Roman Empire's got to go. All right. There's going to be a stone that's going to come out in the days of the Messiah that's going to destroy that image, blow it into pieces, and become this great mountain. So that's one of the things that Daniel talks about. I think you said Daniel 7. Daniel 7 is another place to go. What, what do we see in Daniel 7? If you don't remember, flip over real quick to Daniel 7. What's the, what's the visual there, Frank? Jesus is standing in Acts 1 and he's, he's talked about in Daniel 7. Okay, so you have a picture of... It's almost the heavenly perspective of the ascension where the son of man is coming to the ancient of days. He receives glory and dominion and power. And what is the other component of the vision? What else has Daniel seen besides the son of son of man, Kathy? There are four beasts. And guess what? As you named them in chapter two, you would name them again in chapter four. Here are these beasts. You might remember there is this fourth terrifying beast. Do you remember why this fourth beast is terrifying? He's destroying the people of God. It'll talk about the shattering of the power of, of the holy people. It, he's causing problems to God's people. That's something that, that's observed in, in Daniel chapter 7. And so if you notice like in Daniel chapter 7 and... Um, 
Maybe let's do verse 19. <clears throat> Daniel seven nineteen. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped out what was left with its feet and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up from uh, before which three of them fell and the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things that seemed to be greater than its companions. You can understand why Daniel would like to know. That's quite a, quite a visual. You know, here's this uh, astounding, terrifying beast. Verse 21, And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break in pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the most high and wear out the saints of the most high and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. All right? What's the thrust of the picture of the fourth terrifying beast? He will be destroyed. He will be destroyed. So same, same idea is being depicted. More information is given about this, this fourth kingdom, this fourth empire, in that it is going to, two different phrases, make war with the saints, wear out the saints of the Most High. There is persecution that is going to happen, which is important, because what did we read about in chapters 2 and 3? got problems for the people of God. They're dealing with tribulation and persecution and suffering. Well, here's a visual that that was going to happen, but there's also a prophetic promise, which is that fourth terrifying beast is going to be brought to an end. And so that is part of the Daniel picture. But there's more. Go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 from verse 24 to verse 27 is called the vision of 70 weeks. This one might be one of the most tormented prophecies that has ever been given in modern <laughs> people today. It is unbelievable uh, what, quote, scholars do to the, the vision of 70 weeks. It's really not hard, but it is amazing how overcomplicated people have, have made this. Um, I want you to observe, uh, well, let's just look at like verse 26. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one, let me just, you know, hear deep prophecy here. Who would you suppose the anointed one would be? Might be Christ. Might, 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 you know, I'm going out on a limb here. <laughs> we got the anointed one here. He shall be cut off and have nothing. Well, that makes sense. What are we depicting probably? Crucifixion, we're looking forward to that. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy city and sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Well, considering back in verse 25, you're told there that the, the prophecy was to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem. 
And now in verse 26, it says, after we have the anointed one cut off, the city and sanctuary are going to be destroyed. What are we talking about? The Jerusalem and its temple being destroyed, which happened. Jesus was crucified somewhere in the early 30s. You have Jerusalem's temple and city destroyed by the Roman Empire in 70 AD. So one of the prophecies that's still awaiting to happen is the destruction of Jerusalem, the judgment of the Jewish nation. Remember when we saw Revelation 2 and 3? At that time, who have been the primary persecutors? The Jews, right? They're the ones, they're the synagogue of Satan. Remember that phrase stated a few times? We've got a synagogue of Satan, those who claim to be the people of God, but they're not causing them problems. We remind ourselves about the Apostle Paul. Who's the problem for the Apostle Paul everywhere he goes? The Jews are the ones dragging him out of the synagogue. They're the ones persecuting. So we've got to deal with them. But notice that's not the end. Verse 27, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Okay, what do you think happened there? Christ made a covenant. Okay, there you go. I, I know, I'm making this really hard, right? Christ comes, dies, makes a covenant. Uh, it's not that hard. It's just, I know, it's just stunning how people make this really hard. Uh, and for a half a week, he shall put an end to sacrifices and offerings. But notice this, on the wings of the abominations that shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So you have one making desolate, destroying Jerusalem. And the very end says, and the one who made that desolation is also going to be destroyed. All right, well, who do we just say destroyed Jerusalem? Roman Empire. So the vision of 70 weeks just says Jerusalem and the Jewish persecutors have to be dealt with. And Rome and the Roman Empire and their actions also need to be dealt with. That's what the vision of 70 weeks holds. Uh, one more. Go to, back to chapter 12. Back to chapter 12. <clears throat> and look at verse 7. So here is this man in linen above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever. That would be a time times an half a time. Now notice the phrase. That when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end. Okay, so who are the, who's the holy people? I would just say we're talking about God's people, you know, the, whether they're Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians, whoever the true people of God are. Uh, when that comes to an end, then all these things will be finished. So Daniel's message is this will all be dealt with or complete when the shattering of God's people is finally reconciled or accomplished. Now we've observed who are the two groups that are causing Christians problems in the first century, Jewish persecutors, Roman persecutors, right? We've got both of those involved. That fits the vision of 70 weeks. We've got to deal with Jerusalem. We've got to deal with the Roman empire. What did Daniel 2 say? We've got to shout, shatter the image of that fourth uh, empire, the, the feet and the legs of iron and clay. We had four terrifying beasts in Daniel 7. The fourth one is shattering the power of the holy people, but it's going to be dealt with. And yet the end of this is Daniel saying, 
ooh, ooh, I want to know and understand what all that means. Yeah, wouldn't we? (laughs) And what was Daniel told? Seal it until when? Until the time of the end. Here we are in Revelation chapter 5. And now we've had this glorious throne room scene. And now we see in chapter 5 and verse 1, here is the one seated on the throne. What's in his right hand? A scroll. Is it open? It's sealed. Here's our scroll. As I said, there are like five things that scholars all agree on. This is one of them in the book of Revelation. The scroll of Daniel is this scroll. Uh, in fact, I had never even caught that before. But uh, for those of you who are, who are old enough like, like me, Homer Haley has a commentary. When he wrote the book of Daniel, his commentary on Daniel, he said, that's the same scroll. And I went, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> that is the same scroll. Wow. It's amazing. You're right. I'm just like going, ah, look at this. It makes perfect sense. Here is this, all this information of, of, of judgments of empires and nations in Jerusalem. And goes, but I'm not going to tell you any more about it. Daniel's like, tell me more, tell me more. Nope. Sealed up. Time of the end. Well, now here is the book of Revelation. And now the question is, who's going to be able to be worthy to unveil this information? So now we know it makes a whole lot of sense why the book of Revelation starts with the revelation of... Jesus Christ. We, here, here's the one who has the authority to be able to pop open these scrolls and reveal the things that have been hidden for all of these generations. Or to use what the writer of Hebrews and the Apostle Paul would talk about of prophets and people long to look into. Even angels want to know how is this all going to work out? It's been sealed up. It's been hidden. It's not been known. And now there is this visual of now you get to know everything about that. To me, that is a key template for walking forward in the book of Revelation. We should expect to see information about these two events that were sealed up in the book of Daniel. Daniel prophesied about two things. Jerusalem and judgment of the Jewish persecutors. Judgment of the fourth kingdom, fourth terrifying beast, the desolator that makes desolate. These been talked about as well. Those should be reference points to what this is unveiling. So here's why I think that's important. Should I expect that since we're unrolling the scroll and everything's going to flow out of the scroll, should I expect this to be talking about Apache helicopters in red China and the Berlin Wall falling down and, and World War III and the Twin Towers... That's not what was going on back there in the book of Daniel. (laughs) The things in Daniel's prophecy are the things that are being unveiled, that are being explained, understood. So I can't go outside the boundaries and start talking about, you know, 2023 and Ukraine. And it's got to be in here somewhere, right? No, that's not what Daniel was, was, was talking about. Stan? We make the assumptions that are revealing or revelation has to be about something Absolutely. And when these people receive the book of Revelation, 
had these things happened yet? Yeah. No. They want to know, what does all this mean? But you're right. What we want to do is we want to make prophecy still hold to 2023 about things that haven't happened yet. Now, I can show you a few things that haven't happened, happened yet. We'll, we'll do that. But the vast majority of the book is not going to be that. It is trying to explain what Daniel didn't understand about these events, about how is that all going to unfold. Now, let me give you a, a, a penny on the side that I don't have time for. We're not talking about this. We're not. We're not. We're not. Sidecoin. Second Thessalonians 2, you have the Thessalonian Christians all thinking that Jesus has already come. And Paul says, I told you that that couldn't happen until two things happen. This, depending on your translation, revolt, rebellion, apostasy, and the man of lawlessness revealed. Two things still had to happen. Daniel said two things still had to happen. Daniel has prophecies outstanding. Jerusalem and the Jews have to be dealt with. Rome and the Roman Empire still has to be dealt with. Wouldn't it make sense for Paul to say, friends, Christ hasn't obviously come yet because there's still prophecy that had to be dealt with. There were things that Daniel said had to happen. Okay, we're not talking about that, but that's for free. <laughs> that's for free that you have an important thread that the scriptures are showing that there are things that when you are standing in the first century, you are expecting to have happen because prophecy held it. Daniel was saying the end of city and sanctuary. All right, well, that had to happen. And the one who made desolate has to be destroyed too. All right, well, we're looking for that. That's going to explain a lot in chapter six when you're going to have saints under, under the altar going, well, how much longer do we have to wait? How long? How long till vengeance finally, finally happens? How long till these things take place? All right. Before we look at the second object, questions about that? That is a major pile of information. I know, <laughs> Charlotte. <laughs> I don't think so. We're going to see him in Revelation 10 as well. And he's going to stand up and say, I've got more. Let's go. <laughs> so, but the connections between Daniel and Revelation are critical because you're going to say, see the same figures saying the same things, taking the same actions, standing in the same places. And you're supposed to go, oh, I know Daniel. Oh, yeah, I know that. Now, unfortunately, we kind of don't know Daniel. And so that's where prophecies go completely off the rails as people start not knowing Daniel. But if we know those prophecies, this comes together really nicely. Well, and Jesus confirms that in Matthew 24 because he himself quotes Daniel's prophecy and says, this, you're going to see this happen. That's right. All right. April gave you another penny. We're not talking about that. <laughs> Matthew 24 has the same thing where what is Jesus quoting? Daniel. He quotes Daniel. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it not not be, let the reader understand. Hey, good news. We're do, going through Matthew on Sunday morning, right? Well, Matthew 24 must be coming eventually. Now, it might be in 20 years, but I mean, it'll, it, it's, got, it's coming, right? <laughs> so we'll be, we'll be looking at that and we'll talk about that. That fits into everything that, that we're seeing going on. Other questions about, really, I guess we're just in those first four verses about that scroll 
the information of the scroll, what we're going to be looking for in this lens that we have that, okay, if I've got Daniel's scroll being opened, then that tells me a lot about what I should expect to see, what this should all be talking about. Everybody's good. You've got to be kidding me, right? Surely not. <laughs> you all can't be that easy, right? Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's not easy stuff. And probably you've never really heard a whole lot, lot of that before. Because, again, Revelation 5 is just a place of people going crazy with their prophecies. I didn't bring my Tim LaHaye book. It's already gone off the rails, you know, about all kinds of future stuff. All right. Um, uh, Julie? Okay, so just you're just stunned. You're just well, the amount of information was a blur. <laughs> I think, you know, we're just okay. But I think the beautiful, the beautiful thing is just to remember that this is a, such a beautiful book. It is. And it gives us the final picture of who's right. really in control. Absolutely. Of and so again, they're going to be annoyed if we study this and are repeat over and over. But you know, it keeps coming up. Who is worthy? That's right. And that's the second thing we have to spend our time talking about is our other uh, figure that we need to look at is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But I want to make sure before we unpack all of that, that my mind numbing flurry of information has (laughs) at least found a box for it to all fall in that you can sort through later (laughs) and figure all that out. Uh, to me, that is a, a, a breakthrough piece of information to be able to have a handle on this book. It's, if I can then understand some of the dynamics of the book of Daniel, then that gives me a framework for this, that I shouldn't be fearful that this is making things harder, but it's taking those complicated visions of Daniel and explaining them. It's, it's making those things easier. It's saying, all right, now let me tell you what Daniel wanted to know about understanding these events and visions and activities that was going to happen. All right. Everybody feels good. All right. Well, next week you can bring back all the things that come to your head over the seven days as that just kind of, you know, sits there like that. All right. So uh, who is the one who's worthy? All right. This, this lion of the tribe of Judah. But what is surprising about what happens with that? They turn and look, and what do they see? A lamb slain, as if it's slain. It's really interesting that, you know, what, what a picture of, of victory. Nobody needs to cry. Don't worry. The one who is worthy to open the scroll is the lion of the tribe of Judah that comes out of Genesis with Jacob's prophecy, Messianic, talking about when he comes. The, the root of David, that's Isaiah, and talking about a root and a branch that was going to spring up. And you would expect for John to turn and look and see the lion coming in, right? And instead of coming in and seeing this powerful lion who has trampled the enemies and destroyed its foes and he's worthy, you turn and look and you see a lamb. And it's not just a lamb, which is stunning enough, but it's standing there and it's blood stained. 
It's been pictured as if it's been slain. The lamb who's been slain, verse 7, he goes, he takes the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne. Now, when he takes the scroll, let's start telling, telling me about some of the things that starts happening in this throne room scene. What starts, what starts going on? All right, we're back to worshiping again. You know, Bar, we might have had a, a stopping for a moment as this whole scene of, okay, who's worthy to open? And he goes up and takes the scroll. And you'll, you, you, you see there, as soon as he does that, the four living creatures and the 24 elders in verse 8, they're back doing what they were doing. They're falling down. They're worshiping. Uh, Vicki? They, okay, we've got a new song. All right, I even put this in your workbook. What does it mean for them to be singing a new song? Is it, you know, for, you know, for all of eternity, they've had one song. They finally got bored with that song. Thought we should change it up a little bit around here in heaven. Let's sing a new song. <laughs> that's, that's how humans think, right? You know, we just keep singing the same old song. We need a new song up here. There's someone else just as Okay, all right. And new songs are used a lot in scriptures. You, you see new songs burst out at various events in, in, in history of scriptures. Yeah. All right, so you have new songs when there has been a display of God's power to conquer his enemies. And that reaches all the way back to the song of Moses and the Exodus. Is that as soon as we have vanquished the Egyptians, Moses sings a new song. Miriam's got a song. Everybody's singing songs. Uh, even when they're not called new songs, and you're like, why are people singing? It's usually that. I mean, you think about Mary has a song. Well, what are we talking about? A vanquishing of enemies. The one who has come to conquer is going to come through me. And she sings a song about, about what this child is, is going to do. And so when you read a new song, you're thinking about a, a victory that God is accomplishing. And so that's what's being really depicted here. In fact, when you look at verse 9, why is he the only one worthy to open the scrolls and nobody else is? All right, so you are worthy, number one, because you were slain and your blood ransomed all people. And don't pass over that word ransom too quickly. What, what, what's happening when you're ransoming? What does that mean? There's a purchase happened. If you, you know, you watch those fun action movies. Somebody gets kidnapped. What do they want? A ransom which is a payment to set the person free. The, the, the definition's as simple as that, is that there has to be a price paid to set free. He was slain and his blood is the price that sets the world free. So he's worthy for this because he's done that. What else is said about why he's worthy? He's made them a kingdom and and priests. Did we see that earlier in this book? I hope so. Where did we see that before? 
<clears throat> Revelation 1, go back to verse 6. What does John say as he opens this letter? Who's made us a kingdom and priests to our God. And so here, well, how did that happen? Through Christ, we have been made into this great kingdom. And we have been made priests of God. By the way, that terminology goes back to Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus 19, when God is coming down to speak to his people at that Sinai event, the message he proclaims is that he has come to make them a kingdom and priests of our God. Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. So the same terminology of these are my people that I am coming to be with is used here. He is worthy to open the scroll because he was slain and ransomed people with his blood because he is the one that has made us made it possible for us to be a kingdom and to be priests of our God that was unable to happen before. What's the final outcome of all of that at the end of verse 9 or verse 10, I mean? <clears throat> And you have made them reign on the earth. All right. So we've, we've talked a lot already about, I don't know what that looks like, <laughs> but we are constantly given this image of ruling with Christ, this authority that we're going to have with him. It is all over the scriptures. It is really all over the book of Revelation. Here it is again. Now, if you come up to me and go, now, what does that look like? I'm going to say, I don't. I don't know what that looks like, but it's going to be amazing. Okay, whatever that looks like, we are reigning with him, have authority with him, whatever that looks like. Muriel? I think part of it might be that we have the joy of the peace and, and the devil can't, can't rule over us. Yes, just enjoying that victory, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, won't that be great to not have those interferences and temptations and problems and yeah that that is a certainly part of the conquering image April. so because of the context which you said that's a current situation not an end times thing of rain on the earth because i know people use that as a way of god's going to yeah, and it's interesting because it seems like it's it's a yes and, and, and still to come. You know, just like, are we a kingdom and priests? Yeah. And are we joined with him and reigning with him? Yep. But then there's this idea that, but we haven't really seen the full reality of what that looks like yet. So how does that reconcile with the earth is up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's, 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 that's a... Uh, 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 did I, I think I mentioned this in one of our classes. We talked somehow about, oh, it was our, our second Peter overview in, on Wednesday night. That's, that's, I was like, I know I said something about this somewhere. About There's that whole paragraph in Second Peter 3 about how the earth is going to be dissolved and burned up and a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells and those old things are all set aside. And it kind of made, made the point that there is some kind of connection between the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 15 in describing our resurrection. He obviously resurrection is, well, I shouldn't say obviously, maybe we need to talk about this. Resurrection equals a bodily resurrection. Otherwise, it's not resurrection. If a body is not raised, it's not a resurrection. The spirit living on is not something that was a concern. The, 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 the Greeks would not have, have ridiculed Paul 
in Athens and talking about the resurrection, if all that he was referring to was that spirits live on. They all thought that too. That's why they had a Hades and had all that kind of stuff. They, they believed that. But to say that the body's going to be reanimated, that's a whole other ballgame. What are you talking about? How can that possibly be? But you might remember Paul says something important about that. He uses an illustration to try to explain what that looks like. You might remember he uses the seed imagery. When you look at a seed, does that show you what the plant's going to look like? (laughs) You can't look at a seed and go, well, I know what the plant's going to look like. It's going to be something different. Remember, he makes a point and says, just so the physical bodies have to be changed to these glorious bodies, these spiritual bodies fit for this this spiritual life, whatever that's, that's ultimately looking like. So physical body planted, raised and changed. I think the same idea is here. I don't understand the new heaven and new earth dynamic. God said in 2 Peter 3, this earth's going to get destroyed. Okay, this body's going to get planted in the ground. Do I know what this body's going to look like when he raises it? No, it's just going to be fit for whatever's going on. And I don't know what that spiritual realm of how he's bringing heaven and earth together. And He didn't decide to tell me what that all looked like. (laughs) But it's going to be something different and changed that's appropriate for paradise and for the people of God. And so that's the best I can do with that. So I think it is absolutely, I have to hold there is a destruction of the physical. But then there's also a reanimation of the physical, just like with our bodies. And so he can take it all and go, okay, here we go. (laughs) And put it all into uh, this, this particular thing. Totally out of time, really fast, Nathan. <laughs> no, I think it's like in Corinthians 5, he says that we long to be clothed. Yes, right. And it's going to be different. We have the tent, it's going to be a building. The tent and the building are not the same thing. They're going to be completely different. So you have physical reanimation, but change. And that's the best thing I can put on reigning on the earth in terms like that. Is It's not this. But he never tells us what this is. (laughs) It's just he's going to take it all and rule over it all. And I'll go with whatever that ultimately looks like. So I just lump all that in the terminology of heaven. (laughs) Whatever that ultimately, how that all plays out, that's it. It's all going to be redone uh, in that way. We'll come back here next week for uh, the rest of chapter 5. We'll look more at some of the pictures here. We didn't finish the chapter And if there's time, we'll move into chapter 6. The workbook for chapter 6 through chapter 11 is up here on the table if you want. It's also available digitally uh, online if you want to use that. 13-minute break. Be quick. All right. See you 13 minutes for our next hour of worship. Thank you, everybody.